A little disclaimer, I guess. I, I want to talk to you about the, uh, a little bit about the Exodus story today. And uh, I, as I'm sitting here in the, my chair there thinking about this, is I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to go through this whole story today, and people are going to be like, well, yeah, I know, but that could never happen to me. I hope that that's not the case. Um, so I just want to pray. I promised you a prayer earlier, didn't I? <laughs> so let's pray about it, and let's, let's just ask for a, a little extra from God, a little bit of supernatural work on his part to really make this hit home to us, okay? Dear God, you've done so many great things in the past, and our temptation is to think uh, that you won't or can't or that you just don't do those things anymore. Lord, I pray that this can be a learning experience for us, but that we would learn from experience. Um the experience of you and the experience of just knowing how you work and how you approach us, what our part is in all of that relationship. Lord, I pray we get all that today. You've provided your scriptures for us. It's all right there. Um, And I pray that we can just breathe it in today, dig into it, and uh, find a new you, and through all of that, find a new us as well. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so... It's, it's, uh, it's the story of the Exodus and the, you know, they 40 years in the desert. It's a really long story, you know, so you can pretty much expect there's going to be a long sermon, right? I t- I'll tell you what I did. I wrote it in red and I just went through the whole story and I picked out the scriptures and I'm going to read the story to you. I'm going to hit on all the major things with some intricate little details in it that mean so much. And so I'm going to take that whole big, great, grand story and just focus it in for us today. And I hope that it does what I just prayed. All right? All right. It all starts with the Passover night. You remember they painted the door frames and the death angel went over. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks, your herds, as you've said, and go. And also, bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we're going to die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. I don't know if you ever caught that one. We're getting out. We're getting shoved out. After 400 years of slavery, get out of here. This is God working. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And they gave them what they asked for. And so they plundered the Egyptians. Yesterday, slaves. Today, we plunder. So you got to see this, that God's working all of this. And you would say, yeah, well, what about the 400 years of slavery, Ben? Why did God do that? Well, God has his ways, 
I'm the clay, he's the potter. Paul says, how can the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? God has his ways, but let's celebrate what he's doing here. He's changing slavery into freedom, poverty into riches, people who had enslaved into being favorably disposed. So there is a dramatic overnight switch happening in this way. Sometimes God does it overnight. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than that. We do know that things were brewing and brewing and brewing leading up to this day. Moses and Aaron had already done the ten plagues. So God was preparing it, but this night was the icing on the cake. God is a gentle shepherd, but he drives purposefully in your life as well. Now, what are we going to hear? Grumbling, right? What do you probably do sometimes in life? Grumble. So do I. God only gives us as much as we can handle. He's a gentle shepherd, but he does drive purposefully to greener pastures. But he goes through deserts to get to greener pastures. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them up the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. He's a gentle shepherd. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea, and the Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Well, you know what happens near the Red Sea. Why'd you bring us out here? After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. Etham is the Egyptian word for walled fortress. So they are right there on the edge of this desert. And it's called walled fortress because you can't get through the thing. You can't get through it, otherwise you die out there in the middle of it. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. That might mean some sleepless nights where you're really tired. God drives purposefully, doesn't he? But you got to remember he's a gentle shepherd too. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And that is also the case with you. God never leaves. He's always there. I don't see no cloud, Ben. I don't see no fire at night. Well, you do have the scriptures. They didn't. You also can just look at yourself in the mirror and know that God has designed you and that he's got a plan for you, that you're not an accident. You do have a pillar. You do have a cloud. Sometimes we just don't take advantage. Just like these people here. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Phi-Heroth between Migdal and the sea. They're to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Remember the, the walled fortress, Etham? God's using all of this to the people's advantage. And God says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army 
and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so the Israelites did this. God knows what he's doing. It might not make any sense to go right up to a sea where you can't get across it. And you know that the the Egyptians are coming behind you. But God knows what he is doing. But how do the people respond? Well, they're just like you and me. We don't know what God is doing because we can't see. We don't have foresight or foreknowledge like him. We don't know his plan completely. And that's why we're supposed to be, that's why we're supposed to be full of faith. And that is the measure of the day. We've got to have faith in God. That's why I prayed. Can we really believe God guides us like he does in this story? Can we really believe he would do something great and lead us to greener pastures? So as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So God knows exactly what he's doing. And people who don't grumble and complain. Do you think that you and I just this day could get over that for once? Easy for us to look at them and say, why were they grumbling so much? Why complain? They don't have any sleep. They're in transition. They're on the move. They've got the the Egyptians and their chariots breathing down their neck. You'd probably complain too. In fact, let's just be honest. We would have. We would have. And the angel of the Lord, I want you to consider what I'm about to read. The angel of the Lord who'd been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on the left. And that day... The Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians laying dead on the shore. He knows what he's doing. Can we have faith to follow? All right. So this story, let's make it our own a little bit. Here's what Paul says in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10. I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers... That our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So here's what you have. The same schedule of events that you and I, 3,000 years forward, go through as well. 
slavery to our sin. But yet then God begins to turn some wheels and something begins to happen. And sooner or later, you and I come to the point where we say, you know what? I need God. I've gotten away from God. I didn't acknowledge him. I was blind, but I can see now. Something happens. God begins to work, and you and I make the decision to be baptized, just like them. Slavery in Egypt, baptized into the Red Sea, and thus begins their life of freedom. A beautiful picture of what you and I go through today. Let me just stop for a second and say, if that's a decision that you haven't, been, that haven't made yet, I'd love to talk with you about that. Let's get together. I got all day for that one. You can make this grand story your own. If you haven't been baptized yet, feel like you might need to do that. Feel like handing your life over to God is an important thing to do that you've not yet fully done. That can be the day, just as it says. The day, that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of, Egypt, of the Egyptians. This can be your day. Tomorrow can be your day. What do you need to do concerning being baptized into Jesus Christ, out of the slavery, and into the freedom? Here's what Titus says. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, not seeing right, enslaved all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, all kinds of dysfunction, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us in a day, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generally through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, meaning just as if I hadn't committed all those sins, Now we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. We are a part of God's family now. Orphans, but now adopted. Slaves, but now free. Dysfunctional thinking, but now having the Spirit of God inside of us to guide us into knowledge of Him and how to win the game of life. Let's just do this to God right now, can we? Thanks, God. It's when the kindness of God appeared, Titus just told us. Ah, we weren't doing anything to deserve it. But God shows up and he rescues and he saves because he's a savior. How do we get God wrong? That's just a good question. How do we get God wrong? All he wants to do is save, rescue, and lead to green pastures. But we get him wrong Because instead of focusing on all of those good things and the attributes of God, we focus on the Egyptians and all the difficulties and trials that the life, that this life throws to us. All right, back to the story. Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur, okay? Shur means walled fortress. That's the Hebrew word. The other one, Etham, was the Egyptian word for the walled fortress. And God leads them in there. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. Let's just be honest. You'd complain too, right? 
as soft as we are and as comfortable as we are here in America, we wouldn't have handled this one very well. Let's recalibrate our thinking and let's understand and let's reconfirm and continue to tell ourselves, no, 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 God is a gentle shepherd. No, 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 he's a gentle shepherd. No matter what is happening, no, 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 God's a gentle shepherd. Yes, he drives purposefully, but he's a gentle shepherd. Maybe that'll help. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. Three days without, you get to a spot that has water, you're starting to salivate, you're ready for it, but you can't drink it because it's bitter. So they named that spot Mara in their language because that's the Hebrew word for bitter, Mara. I got to assume and I think that that's a name we could apply to ourselves on many occasions, right? So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. God solved the problem. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them. And there he tested them and he said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, and if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I got all the power in the world if you just have faith in me. Even if you come to bitter water, even if you come to trials, just have faith in me. And then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and there were 70 palm trees. And they camped there near the water. Plenty of water now. God's good, isn't he? 72 palm trees. I love palm trees, don't you? Just in Florida a couple weeks ago, palm trees were great. If you're walking out in the desert, trees become even greater. 72 of them. And so they named the place Elam. Do you know what Elam means? Trees. Trees. Yes. Trees. God's a gentle shepherd. He drives purposely. Part of his shepherding and part of his driving is to get you to like simple pleasures a little bit. To get you off of all of your comforts and all of the material stuff and back on to what's really important. Trees. Can you see the caravan walking through the desert, dust in your teeth, dirty feet, hot, sweaty, thirsty, and someone over there sees trees and so the the message is passed back down through the caravan and you're just kind of moping along one step and you hear trees. It brightens you right up. That's where they were. Maybe that's where you are. But here, the gentle shepherd drives purposefully. And listen to these words. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam. <laughs> 
into the desert of sin. I don't want to leave. I want to stay right here in the comfort. Why, God? Why? No. He's a gentle shepherd, and he drives purposely right into the desert of sin. The desert of sin. That's not our English word sin, which we all know what it means. It's the Hebrew word sin. It means clay. Twelve wells, 72 palm trees, clay. Who wants to do that? He's a gentle shepherd. He drives purposely. They set out to the desert of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, they've been at this for a month and a half now, after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Then we, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. (laughs) The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Faith. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Day-to-day sustenance. They had to leave Egypt so fast, they couldn't even make bread. So they left all of their possessions, only what they could take, and only the riches that they had gathered from the Egyptians. Day-to-day sustenance. Daily bread. Are you okay with that? Are you okay in your faith being mindful of God every day, practicing his presence every day. You know what they called that bread from heaven? Manna. Manna is the Hebrew word for what is it? What is it? So hungry. You brought us out here to starve the whole community, Moses. And then it rains. What is it? It's the God's provision for you. Manna, what is it? Well, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. And they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost, they're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I'll stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? 
That's what we do. We quarrel and we test God. We test his patience because we lack faith and we do not heed his driving and his shepherding like we should. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully, this is a story of faith, and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. I bet Moses liked that. Moses told the Lord that the people had said what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and have them be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of Of all the people, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful. Do not go up to the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Prepare yourself. Mount Sinai is kind of an interesting thing. It's not a mountain where you've got to climb up like that. Mount Sinai just literally comes right up out of the ground. You can kind of draw a line around where it stops and where it starts. So there would be no, no misunderstanding of the people on where that mountain. So God is setting a stage for that mountain. Something that they will remember. Something that they will never forget. Here's how it happened. On the morning of the third day, that, I can hear the third day whisper, can't you? On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning. With a thick cloud over the mountain. And from somewhere, there's a very loud trumpet blast. Here's how the people reacted. Everyone in the camp trembled. Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke completely because the Lord descended on it in fire. He's going to burn up the mountain? The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of that trumpet grew louder and louder and then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself. And we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. He's a gentle shepherd, but he drives purposely. God's testing us put a little bit of fear and reverence in us to keep us on the right path. A good shepherd. 
Now, Mount Sinai at one time was called Horeb, which just means rocky. That's what it was. But there that day, the people renamed it Sinai. Do you know what that means? To get to Sinai, they went through the desert of Sin, and Sin means clay. Sinai means God of clay. After that experience on the mountain and seeing God's power, they were able to see that God is a good shepherd. And even though there are deserts of clay where we are hungry and thirsty and grumbling, He's still good. He's still good. Can you get to the point where you attribute the difficult times in your life to God's journey that he has for you? Can that perspective then cause you to say, he's a gentle shepherd. He's a good shepherd. I don't know where he's going, but he knows and all is in his hands. And with that knowledge and that perspective, can you this day increase your faith in him? Let's pray. Father, we remember the question or the call of the disciples of the day that they asked you, your son, increase our faith. How did we do this? So, Lord, nobody's pointing fingers here. We know that it's the lot of humanity to lack faith in you. You came to your own and your own didn't even recognize you. Lord, we, we're not good at this thing. We're not good at this thing called faith. You've provided all of the tools and everything there for us to grow in our faith. And so God, in the face of our failures, we call on your grace, we call on your mercy, And we definitely need your kindness. Thank you for sticking with us, going before us, being our rear guard, even in the face of all of our grumbling and lack of faith. God, oftentimes we don't recognize you. Oftentimes we go through the scriptures, God, and we see those who grumbled and those who missed you and those with stiff necks and those who just didn't get it. We might tend to look down our nose at them, but God, we're not a whole lot different, only just that your kindness has been given to us and we actually accepted. God, I pray for anyone in here today who has yet to accept. I pray that the story today your power the example of your kindness would land and that they would heed and that they would come forward here in a minute to finally make that decision to hand themselves over to you God for the rest of us who've made that initial decision we got to do it again every day we probably didn't do it yesterday I pray that we could recommit in our hearts today for more faith in you. 
Lord, we know that it's through our faith that we please you. And you are so pleasing. Why would we not want to please you? Let us recommit, God. Let us submit to your purposeful driving, telling ourselves that you're a good and gentle shepherd, that you're going to take us to green pastures. Ultimately, God, we know that you have us on a trail to get us to eternity with you. How do we lose? God, you are incredible. Who are we that you are mindful of us? But you are every day. I pray that we could be the same to you. Mindful of you every day. It's in your grand name that we pray. Amen.